I do ask you to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, be reading uh, verses 13 through uh, the end of the chapter, um, first, or 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2. Um, beginning at verse 13. The prayers of Paul are certainly uh, inspired lessons for us. They're Holy Spirit-inspired instruction, example of how it is that we are to pray. There are themes that run through Paul's prayers in the epistles. Um, One of them is the theme of thanksgiving. Um, He says to the Philippians, uh, with every remembrance of you, Every time I think of you, he's saying, I give thanks to God for your faith. He says to the uh, Ephesians, um, I pray that you would know God better, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he prays that they would know the love that cannot be known, not fully. Uh, We grow deeper in it, but we never touch the bottom of the ocean. These are themes, thanksgiving, and knowing God, that Paul says we are to include uh, in our prayers. They, they are to structure our prayers together as God's, as God's people. And in the prayer here of the Thessalonians, or Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he actually combines them both, and he says, I thank God for you because I see that your knowledge of God has actually helped you to be sustained through suffering. I thank God for you because you know Him and because He is sustaining you in suffering through that knowledge of the triune God. And so our prayer tonight, the the, the words that we're going to be looking at tonight are are really part of an answer to prayer. Knowing God has helped you endure in suffering. And so he's praising God uh, for that growth in the people. Um, and so let us turn then to this, uh, read these verses, uh, beginning at verse 13 through the end of, through the end of the chapter. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught us, either by spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good Work and word. God's holy and reliable word to us. I don't know that I can call it a classic movie. I certainly heard the, um, the lines to this movie many times as my children were growing up. There's one of the lines that I really appreciate, though, and, and that is this. Life is pain. Highness, and anyone who tells you differently is selling something. Do you remember? Do you hear? Do you know that movie, people? Some of you are too old, perhaps, to know it. Some of you might be too young. Does someone know this movie? What is it? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Thank you. 
The congregation is alert and alive out there. Life is pain, and anyone who tells you differently is selling something. True that. That's a good statement. Peter puts it this way. Don't be surprised as fiery trials come upon you as if something strange were happening. Don't be, don't be surprised. Don't be undone. Um, life is painful. Trials come at us uh, all the time. The question before us tonight is how do we pray for people who are suffering? How do we pray for people who are going through traumatic events in their life? We think in our church we've been, we've been concerned about two young women, two girls in Nigeria who were kidnapped. Uh, the money was raised in order to free her from her kidnappers. And the kidnappers took the courier and the money and raised the ransom. We prayed for these girls that they would be brought home safely. Now, our trials are probably less dramatic than that. We each have health issues, family crises that are going through, we're going through. So the question remains, how do we pray for all different levels of stress and difficulty and challenge and trials that people are going through? One of the things we are most likely to do is pray for relief of pain. Lord, deliver these individuals, these girls, deliver my family, deliver whomever it is that we're, deliver them from pain. Give them relief. We want that. Chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians says, absolutely relief is coming. But then the writer goes on to say, when Jesus returns, he will bring, he will vindicate you by destroying your persecutors. In other words, you may have to wait a really long time. Relief is coming. We still should pay for that, pray for that as we're concerned about our, our friends and neighbors and so forth. But we should pray also, following the line of, of our text this evening, we do pray for bodies to be relieved, but we also pray for souls to be revived. Bodies relieved, but souls also to be revived. That people that we're praying for would come to know the love of the Lord Jesus even better than they do now. That, that the people we're praying for would, would know the wonder of being chosen before the foundation of the world by God the Father. And that that would make a difference in how they conduct themselves and bear up under suffering. And that they would also know that the Holy Spirit is involved even through their suffering in bringing about sanctification, purifying their hearts. So suffering is always purposeful for the glory of God and the change of our hearts. So do we pray for relief? Yes, you may pray for relief and you hope for relief. But you also pray for those deeper heart changes that come about from knowing, knowing the love of Jesus Christ, the electing love of God, and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I just want to spend a few minutes on each one of those as, we, as we're setting up our, our prayer time for, for the evening. We, we pray, um, first of all, to know God 
um, in suffering, to know God in suffering. As I've said, the love of Christ. Um, let, let me read these verses again. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as, as the first fruits through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and belief in the truth. First of all, then, the love of Christ. When we suffer, we can indulge in self-pity. Uh, we can uh, be awash uh, in our self-absorption. Or we can be hardened to God in that suffering. But here's a call to know the Lord Jesus. Um, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us. That's a, a, an event in the past that refers to His cross. You are loved by Jesus, which is displayed for His crucifixion, His suffering and His crucifixion. And, and, and that is the greatest example of love. What strikes me, though, in the Gospel of John, right before he's heading into Gethsemane, um, he, uh, he, he um, washes his disciples' feet in order to show the full extent of his love, that he would love them to the end. Th- think of that. It's not just that their feet were grungy. I'm sure they were. But, but these individuals were very soon... Uh, going to be scattered to the winds out of fright. They were already bickering with each other. And Jesus is hours away from going to the cross to die for sinners who, who hardly know their left hand from their right. And he loved them. What comforts me about that is that Jesus loves you too in your silliness. In your thick-headedness, he loves you when you chicken out from witness. When you disgrace him, he loves you still. Years ago, I heard the story of a pastor who was um, in the midst of leading a service at at his church, and and his wife came into the service um, drunk. This is not an autobiographical tale. <laughs> a, a pastor, uh, the pastor's wife came into the, into the service drunk. You can imagine the shame. You can imagine the irritation, the anger. Um, you can imagine him uh, just, uh, just being so deeply distressed for multiple reasons for his wife's behavior. The end of the service, as he was uh, greeting people, saying goodbye to them, he pointed to his wife and he said, and this is my wife. He, he owned that relationship out of a love for, for her, not because she deserved it. And we can say that Jesus does the same thing for us. He loves the bride, not because we're beautiful, but because he, but because he loves us and he's making us so. He is making us so ultimately fulfilled uh, in the consummation. So, the love of Christ strengthens us for suffering. The second thing is to be chosen by God, to imagine that God has his eye on you since forever. There was never a time when God did not have his eye on you to save you. Chosen before the foundation of the world. And let that amaze you. Let... Let that amaze you that there was never a time that you were not the apple of God's eye and he would determine to save you. If there is anything that can starve um, our self-pity, it's that. Even in suffering. 
Kids, I've said this a couple of times recently, and I, I urge this upon you again. The Bible says God did not choose Israel because it was the most numerous and powerful people. Instead, God chose Israel, even though they were weak and powerless and puny. God loved Israel because God had compassion on Israel because he loved her. God had compassion on Israel for no other reason than that he loved her. For those of you who are interested, that's called a tautology. But it, it's, it's, he's saying the same thing. God loves you because he loves you. Listen, listen to what this writer said. We were not made primarily that we may love God, although that is true. But that God may love us, that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. God loves you not ultimately for your glory or benefit, but for his own enjoyment. We are called the first fruits here as well. We are risen with Christ, and therefore we are part of the new creation already. Our bodies aren't there, but our, 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 our life uh, is in Christ. We are well aware that these outer bodies are wasting away, but there's a, that, that inner itself is being renewed day by day. We are part of that new creation, that first fruits. One of the things that Gail and I valued in these last several months as we were with mom when hospice was called in and when she was was nearing the end was to consider that she was going to be ahead of us in seeing the Lord Jesus. God loved her, um, chose her, and was bringing her home. And that enables us going through terrible times of suffering that enables us to continue to look to him in faith and with joy in our hearts. With faith and with joy in our hearts. And thirdly, that he also sanctifies us by the Holy Spirit. We've considered these days as we've been working through matters of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit filled the body of Christ on this when Jesus was here. For he, filled, he filled Jesus by the Spirit uh, for his earthly ministry. And on Pentecost, he filled the body of Christ, the church, for our, for our ministry and life. And, and yet, Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered, and so do we. We learn obedience. We learn greater faith. We learn greater joy. We learn greater fidelity to God through suffering. The, second, the church in Thessalonica was, was going through it and, and they were being sanctified by the Spirit. Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his book Gulag Archipelago um, reflected on his time in prison and he said it was immeasurably hard. It was un, unimaginably uh, challenging and difficult. But then he said, but I'm grateful for it. i do it all again. <laughs> I'm grateful for it. Bless you, prison, he writes. Bless you for being in my life. For there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, as we were made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. He was a believer. 
referring to the same sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed you, suffering, for being in my life, because my character is being strengthened and changed. Uh, the passage goes on to say then, uh, um, in, in, in verse 14, to, to this he, he called you through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the goal, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can expect glory through our suffering. Re- remember that Moses, in 2 Corinthians, it describes Moses as, as, uh, as, as his face glowing as he had seen God in, in the wilderness. His face glowing and yet, and yet, Paul says that that um, how is it that um, a ministry that brought condemnation, that old covenant ministry, um, was was pale compared to the ministry that brings that brings justification through Jesus? Moses is shining, but that's second best. You have the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul goes on to say. He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of Christ, by one degree of glory after another. The life of sanctification. As we admire and love this Christ and as we pray the Spirit to work in a a desire to obey Him and please Him in every respect. We are moving, the Spirit is moving us from one degree of glory to another. Can Can you, do you notice that in your own life? Especially going through suffering. You've learned to complain less and praise more. You've learned how to be satisfied with God when you don't have all the perks of life. That's, that's one degree of glory to another. That's, that's experiencing and, and it, partaking of this glory from the Spirit right now. But certainly more is coming. Uh, we as God's children, uh, we, we, um, what we will be, First John says, what we will be is not yet is not yet seen, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And there is great more glory coming, all wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we expect that glory through through suffering and eventually even through death, death itself. Knowing those things, having your heart set on, on the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we, we do two things, two verbs here. One is we stand firm. We stand firm. We've, we've got stable footing. We're, we're, we're able, uh, in, the, in the chaos of suffering, to stand firm because our eyes are fa- fastened upon, upon the triune God. And the second thing we do is hold on tight. We hold on to the tradition. It goes on to say what is still being spoken and what has been written. We're in a different place right now. We have the tradition, all we are called to believe and to do, contained in the written Word of God. In a sense, you could say it's easier for us. It's all right there. Hold on to it to get you through your suffering. Some years ago, uh, Gail and I met a, a, a couple of our kids up in New York City. On, on uh, I, I, We were there for the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Now, some of you are thinking, 
who would want to go to a Thanksgiving parade in New York City on Thanksgiving? Who would want to do that? Well, we did. We did. And one of the reasons for that is because we were able to, we were in, a, in an office building about 16 floors above the parade, looking down on it where it was warm and there was a buffet. And so we were eating and drinking and watching the parade. That's how you do it, right? It was actually pretty cool. But then afterwards, as we're leaving, we had a role reversal in our family. The press of the sidewalks was just incredible. And so our daughter, who had been living in New York for a while, was not intimidated by crowds, not even a little bit, grabbed her mother's hand, held on to it, and marched right through that. And the crowd just opened up like this, like the Red Sea, man, when Katie came through pulling her mother with her, holding on for safety, freed Gail from being intimidated by, this, by the crowd, by the suffering, if you will. Well, there it is. Hold on tight as the pressures of this world close in on you and hold on to that tradition, that tradition from God's Word, the truth of the Gospel, uh, that um, as that we believe in, that we rest in those pattern of healthy words, as it says elsewhere, the standard of teaching uh, that is also spoken of yesterday or elsewhere. So we hold on to the spirit who is holding on to you. That's what it's about. Holding on to the spirit who is holding on to you. OK, then. OK, bring it together. How then do we pray for sufferers? Do we pray for their relief? We'll be doing that in a few minutes. Yes, we will. You pray for their relief. You pray for healing. You pray for God's work to bring about a relief. Realizing it may not happen. And that relief is still future. Relief is coming. It's guaranteed, but it's coming. What do you know? What do you know God will honor? That is a prayer for them to know, for, for you to know, for them to know that Jesus loves his bride. Pray that for them. Uh, I pray that for the parents and the girls in this, in this kidnapping situation. Pray that they would have confidence in the God who has called them from before the foundation of the world. That he has their eye on them, he has his eye on them for good. The hardest it might be for us to understand. And pray. This is maybe an easier one to grasp. Pray for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Let them, bear, let them hold on and stand firm in the power of the Spirit to stand up under the suffering that they're going through. May the Lord grant each of us in, in what we're going through. Title this message is Praying Trinitarian Prayers. Pray Father, Son, and Holy Spirit prayers for the things that we're going through in our lives as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful passage that, uh, that, that holds us up and that enables us, Lord, uh, to stand firm in the midst of suffering. We pray that you'll even guide by your Spirit, guide our prayers this evening, that we could lift up uh, brothers and sisters whom we love and, and pray for the sanctifying, the regenerating and sanctifying work of the Spirit. Uh, we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus.
Amen.